My final days as a postdoc, the end is nigh. I'm exploring teaching opportunities in biology in order to get my foot in the door. This may take time. For whatever reason, I haven't been experiencing too much anxiety about it. I think it's because I've made up my mind about what I must do, so I'm not in a position to be overwhelmed by options and what-ifs. Maybe the single-minded pursuit of a teaching-focused career is a mistake, but if it is, then it's my mistake to make. My mind is made up whether it's mistaken or not, and my conscience is settled because I know that I'm not taking the path that is most expedient or which promises the most financial gain. Rather, I'm following my heart. In his book, A Thousand Brains, Jeff Hawkins takes a reductionist view of the cerebral cortex, which is pretty persuasive. He takes a similar neuron-centric view of consciousness, which I've been scrutinizing. Hawkins seems to equate consciousness with memory in a way that is a little too neat, but it's at least worth considering his perspective. He writes, quote, Imagine if I could reset your brain to the exact state it was in when you woke up this morning. Before I reset you, you would get up and go about your day, doing the things you normally do. Perhaps on this day you washed your car. At dinner time, I would reset your brain to the time you got up, undoing any changes, including any changes to the synapses, that occurred during the day. Therefore, all memories of what you did would be erased. After I reset your brain, you would believe that you just woke up. If I then told you that you had washed your car today, you would at first protest, claiming it wasn't true. Upon showing you a video of you washing your car, you might admit that it indeed looks like you had, but you could not have been conscious at the time. You might also claim that you shouldn't be held responsible for anything you did during the day because you were not conscious when you did it. Of course, you were conscious when you washed your car. It is only after deleting your memories of the day that you would believe and claim you were not. This thought experiment shows that our sense of awareness, what many people would call being conscious, requires that we form moment-to-moment memories of our actions, unquote. Does the thought experiment show that? Not necessarily. If this happened to me, if I were the one finding out by video evidence or otherwise that I had washed my car earlier in the day, I think I would assume that I was having a bizarre and indeed alarming episode of amnesia. I would look at the time of day after dinner, apparently, and be confused that I have no memory of how I got to where I am and what I've been doing all this time. Of course, if I went to the car wash, I must have been conscious at the time. But what has happened to my memory? Have I been drugged? Have I suffered a head injury or a stroke? Has someone been tampering with my synapses? I don't see that episodic memories of this kind are necessary for consciousness. Working memory, the kind of ram of ongoing thought and perception, is another story. It's difficult to imagine being conscious without any coherence of this type. Once or twice in the past, I've talked about the amnesic patient Clive Weering, who had severe hippocampal damage. I'll share again this transcript of a conversation caught on video between Weering and his wife Deborah. Weering's wife asks, quote, Do you know how we got here? And he says, No. She asks, You don't remember sitting down? He says, No. She says, I reckon we've been here about ten minutes at least. Weering replies, Well, I've no knowledge of it. My eyes only started working now. His wife asks, And you feel absolutely normal? He says, Not absolutely normal, no. I'm completely confused. Confused, she says. He responds, Yes, if you've never eaten anything never touched anything, never smelled something, what right have you to assume you're alive? She says, hmm, but you are, and Wearing says, apparently yes, but I'd like to know what the hell's been going on. It is just as clear in my opinion that Wearing was conscious when he said this as it is that he had no long-term memory. 
My criticism is for the thought experiment presented by Jeff Hawkins, not for the conclusion. He says that consciousness requires moment-to-moment memory. Well, that's plausible. Let's consider it further. Hawkins writes, quote, Consciousness also requires that we form moment-to-moment memories of our thoughts. Recall that thinking is just a sequential activation of neurons in the brain. We can remember a sequence of thoughts just as we can remember a sequence of notes in a melody. If we didn't remember our thoughts, we would be unaware of why we were doing anything. For example, we have all experienced going to a room in our house to do something, but upon entering the room, forgetting what we went there for. When this happens, we often ask ourselves, where was I just before I got here and what was I thinking? We try to recall the memory of our recent thoughts so we know why we are now standing in the kitchen. When our brains are working properly, the neurons form a continuous memory of both our thoughts and actions. Therefore, when we get to the kitchen, we can recall the thoughts we had earlier. We retrieve the recently stored memory of thinking about eating the last piece of cake in the refrigerator, and we know why we went to the kitchen. The active neurons in the brain at some moments represent our present experience, and at other moments represent a previous experience or previous thought. It is this accessibility of the past, the ability to jump back in time and slide forward again to the present, that gives us our sense of presence and awareness." Hawkins is a little too reductionist for my taste, at least at times. Of course thinking is more than just a sequential activation of neurons in the brain. If that is a suitable definition for thinking, then why are there still sequences of neuronal activation during states of non-consciousness? What about sequences of neuronal activation in the visual cortex? Are those thoughts, too? Furthermore, is flight nothing more than a sequence of wing movements? Isn't there something to do with an interaction with the air and the achievement of lift and so on? But aside from that, even as it is clear that human minds are capable of considering the past and future, I don't see that it is necessary to be able to do so in order to have a subjective experience. I do, however, see that there is an important connection between working memory and conscious experience. On many occasions, I have given a list of the essential features of human consciousness. I've characterized human consciousness as a unified composition of contents. The contents are specific and meaningful. They exist from a point of view. Human consciousness is continuous in time. It is limited and coherent. Memory of the long-term type from hours or days previous is clearly not necessary for consciousness. But which of these aspects is dependent on working memory? Continuity in time, certainly. If every moment were a kind of reset without change, then there would be no sense of continuously being. Each moment would replace the last rather than flowing from it. I think this has implications for the feature of coherence. Even comprehension of the visual scene in front of us relies on sequential eye movements to put it all together. Sounds get their context from adjacent sounds, especially in the case of speech. So coherence is pretty well dependent on working memory. If limitation is an essential characteristic of human consciousness, then here the limitation is even higher. I've talked about the nesting of conscious contents within more basic contents. Moment-to-moment replacement or reset amounts to basic contents without this higher-order nesting. Ultimately, is there any difference between the contents of working memory and the contents of consciousness? Let's see. Here's a paper called Consciousness and Working Memory, Current Trends and Research Perspectives by Boris Velichkovsky. He writes, quote, A concept closely related to consciousness is working memory. Working memory is thought to be a cognitive system for online storage and processing of information in the service of the current task. Usually, 
working memories assumed to be capacity limited and associated with the functioning of the general purpose processor responsible for cognitive processing per se. While there are several conceptions of working memory today, it holds that working memory is responsible for short-term maintenance of goal-relevant information and its processing. A very general understanding like this gives working memory a special status in the cognitive system. It may be understood as the medium or workspace in which thinking and cognition takes place. This special role of working memory is supported empirically by the findings of a strong association between working memory capacity and higher order cognitive activities, including general intelligence. Working memory is also a major construct in current cognitive architectures in which its alleged role as the workspace of cognitive processing is made fully explicit. In a similar vein, evolutionary studies ascribe working memory an important role in the development of human intelligence. Working memory is usually thought to be closely linked to consciousness. This is evident, for instance, in Badley's multi-component working memory model, which dominated working memory research in the recent past. For instance, it is typically assumed that the content held in working memory is conscious. This means that working memory operates on consciously accessible information, and in some sense, that working memory and consciousness are the same. This is a very strong conjecture, which may lead to a stronger operationalization of the consciousness research, consciousness being defined as the content of working memory. However, there are still doubts whether consciousness can be equated to working memory, especially given that consciousness, as well as working memory, are not homogeneous entities, but may appear in several varieties. Recent evidence suggests that there are unconscious working memory content and working memory processes, which render the relationship between working memory and consciousness even more complex." Unquote. A standard view of working memory in cognitive psychology is referred to as the multi-component working memory model. According to this model, working memory is closely related to, or even equivalent to consciousness. This multi-component model has a hierarchical organization consisting of a central executive and several subservient systems known as slave systems, which are modality specific. So there's a verbal or symbolic phonological loop, a visual spatial sketch pad, and so on. These are easily recognizable in ordinary thinking. The phonological loop stores information when we verbally rehearse in our mind, say, a list of items. The visual spatial sketch pad stores information in the manner of visual imagery. Mental systems such as these seem to depend on conscious attention. The central executive is a conscious system for shifting attention, inhibition of distracting information, and directing the slave systems. All of this is thought to be related to the idea of conscious access. Velikchavsky continues, quote, the work of LeMay suggests a strong link between conscious awareness types as described by Ned Block and visual working memory. These authors explore the intricate relationships between consciousness, attention, and working memory. In the visual domain, they argue for a distinction between visual working memory and fragile visual short-term memory. Visual working memory is the typically assumed relatively long-lived, several seconds to minutes, capacity-limited visual store, which is used when the visual scene is out of sight. The main feature of visual working memory is its selectivity. It holds only about four integrated percepts. Fragile visual short-term memory is an intermediary store between iconic memory and visual working memory. It is relatively long-lived, but has a large capacity. It's easily overwritten by new visual information. 
The distinction between visual working memory and fragile visual short-term memory reflects the fact that we are aware of a detailed visual scene when looking at it, but it quickly fades away and reduces to only several focal objects when we close our eyes. For our purpose, it is important that both memory systems are associated with consciousness. Visual working memory is associated with access consciousness, while fragile visual short-term memory is associated with phenomenal consciousness. Visual working memory thus holds representations which are conscious in the strictest sense. They are consciously controllable and reportable." Unquote. All right, so far, so good. But it turns out there are instances of working memory which are not consciously perceived. Velichkovsky gives examples. He writes, quote, One line of research on non-conscious aspects of working memory is provided by the study of working memory maintenance of masked stimuli. In this study, subjects were presented with a GABOR grading for a very short period, which was subsequently masked. The cue was thus presented below visual awareness. After a delay of several seconds, they were presented with a target and asked whether the cue and the target differed in orientation. Subjects also rated the visual awareness of the cue. The central result was that on the unaware trials, participants were able to solve the task significantly above chance. This is taken as the evidence of working memory being able to maintain unconscious items. Duta, Shah, Silvanto, and Soto, 2014, replicated these findings with a more robust effect and also studied the neuronal underpinnings of the unconscious storage in working memory. It was shown, for instance, that left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex was specifically activated on the unaware trials, and this activation correlated with report accuracy. As dorsolateral prefrontal cortex is often implicated with working memory, this is taken to support the claim that storage in working memory may be unconscious." Unquote. The prefrontal cortex is understood to be involved in conscious thought and behavior. It's interesting that the dorsolateral component is activated even when the subject is unaware of information being utilized in the report. But I'm not sure this proves that working memory can be unconscious. It depends on what we mean by working memory. It seems obvious to me that subconscious mechanisms, including processing of sensory and cognitive information, is relevant to conscious behavior and thinking. After all, we find the words we want to say and do arithmetic without going through steps consciously. The author writes, quote, Another evidence for non-conscious processing and working memory comes from using the attentional blink effect. Bergstrom and Erickson, 2014, used an attentional blink paradigm to render stimuli unconscious and showed that they were still correctly identified after delays as long as 15 seconds. This shows that unconscious representations may be held online in some sort of short-term store for periods of time usually associated with working memory. This conjecture was supported by a further study using fMRI, which was aimed at the analysis of the bold signal change during the maintenance of the unconscious representation. A common activation cluster, lateral prefrontal cortex, orbital frontal cortex, cerebellum, was observed for the maintenance of seen and unseen trials, which was not observed in target absent trials. The activation of lateral prefrontal cortex may be indicative of working memory involvement in the online storage of unconscious, unseen targets, similar to the storage of conscious, seen targets. Bergstrom and Erickson note, however, that working memory storage mechanisms of conscious and unconscious information may differ. For instance, the phonological loop may be involved only in the storage of conscious working memory content. 
In sum, the authors conclude that evidence was found for the working memory storage of unconscious information for extended periods of time, which is comparable to the conclusions obtained with the masking paradigm referenced above, unquote. I guess the idea here is that if some piece of subconsciously held information is able to make a difference to test performance as long as 15 seconds later, this must rely on working memory. But is this the same phenomenon as working memory? Subliminal messaging presumably has effects on behavior well after exposure. Must we say that subliminal messages, social cues, things like this operate through working memory? Short-term changes regularly occur at synapses. This is a type of implicit memory, certainly, but working memory? The working bit sort of implies consciousness. Suppose we have a simple organism with an acclimation mechanism. When you lightly touch the organism, say it's an arthropod, it rolls into a ball. A few seconds later, the bug unrolls and returns to business. Acclimation is pretty common in systems like this. After several trials of touching the animal, it ceases to roll up, or in any case requires a greater stimulus in order to do so. The mechanism is a simple synaptic plasticity. It can last up to minutes. Conflating this process with working memory is a stretch. Velikovsky writes, quote, another line of evidence for the existence of the unconscious working memory processes is the separation of objective and subjective working memory components by the means of a memory masking procedure. In this procedure, the subject has to maintain a masked memory cue while a masked distractor is presented during the delay period. Using the procedure, Bona, Chataneo, Vecchi, Soto, and Silvanto, 2013, studied the relationship between the subjective experience of visual working memory representation and its objective accuracy. A clear dissociation between the two aspects of working memory storage was found. More specifically, it was found that the objective accuracy was reduced by distractors of a specific orientation, regardless of whether they were consciously perceived, while the subjective experience was reduced by distractors of all orientations, but only when they were unconscious. These results indicate the separation of conscious and unconscious aspects in visual working memory, with the latter underlying implicit visual working memory storing low-level visual details in the service of perception and scene recognition. A different approach to show the existence of implicit working memory, that is, working memory without conscious reflection of its content and operations, was taken by Hassan, Barg, Engel, and McCulloch, 2009. In this study, the subjects were presented with a series of filled or empty disks for speeded identification. In a critical condition, the locations of the disk formed patterns, many of which were familiar to the subjects. It was shown that the subject used the information about the structure of the pattern to optimize performance on the last disk while it was ensured that they were not aware that the locations formed a pattern. Referring to the definition of working memory as the system for online storage and manipulation of information, the authors show that the experimental task they used is a working memory task. To deduce a pattern from serially presented disks, online accumulation and transformation of information is clearly required. Because these processes run unconsciously, the authors claimed the existence of implicit working memory, a system for operative storage and processing, the working of which is not consciously accessible. In this respect, it is interesting to note that the explicit notification to the presence of patterns diminished subjects' performance." Unquote. These studies are interesting with respect to how we think and the implicit effects which guide us, but I don't know if I'm happy to call these effects working memory. 
Working memory to me seems analogous to the conscious workspace proposed by Bernard Bars. I wonder if some of these effects are better understood as short-term procedural memories. Procedural memories like how to type or ride a bike. Attempting to do these things consciously actually interrupts our normal capacity. The same thing happens if a skilled piano player becomes conscious of the direction of their fingers while playing. Performance falls apart with conscious interruption in such cases. It's like when Luke Skywalker was learning to use the Force. He was supposed to trust his instincts to just act, not to think. I guess using the Force is a matter of procedural rather than explicit technique. It was suggested that the phonological loop might be strictly conscious. This is an interesting example of working memory. It seems as though there is a definitely a subconscious component. Personally, there are occasions in which someone prompts me to respond to what they've just been saying. I was, of course, not listening when they were talking. But now, given the prompt, it's as if the words previously uttered still echo in my mind, and I can now access their trace and respond appropriately. Had I not been prompted to reply, those previous words would have never entered my mind. I doubt whether I would consciously register their ever having been spoken. Still, it seems to me that working memory implies those things which are being accessed in consciousness moment to moment, with a hundred other would-be pieces of data dancing on the fringes. They are little could-be contents that will appear in mind if prompted to do so within the next few seconds. If not, they will be lost forever. In the end, I think Jeff Hawkins is right to emphasize working memory and consciousness. He is perhaps too willing to reduce phenomenology to sequences of neurons, though. Something fundamentally undetermined is behind consciousness, which is being instantiated in the brain. Or just maybe, consciousness is so pervasive and so fundamental to our universe that the brain is just a reconfiguration of it, a fundamental physics with recurrent loops of working memory.